on today's message from Harvest Church of God. Maybe the test of our praying is in the fact that we're willing to forgive people who sin against us. You run with the rabbits through the week and hunt with the hounds on Saturday and then want to know why God won't do something for me. If you really want to know the answer, ask the Holy Ghost to tell you. Why should I ask the Holy Ghost? Because he wrote the book. If you want to know something that's in the book, go to the author. In fact, Samuel said, God forbid that I should sin against God in ceasing to pray for you. You mean it's a sin for me not to pray for my brothers and sisters? Yes. Turn with me to Psalm 73, verse 28. Just one verse, just one verse, but I think it is full of all kinds of good things for us. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to preach this morning. Thank you for this service thus far. Thank you for the anointing of the Holy Spirit and the joy and worship, being reminded that life is full of battles but the Lord is present in them all, and you deliver us out of them all. And we thank you, and we praise you, and we glorify you for your word. Now, I ask you to do something of which I'm not worthy. I ask you to touch me with the anointing of the Holy Spirit, that I might speak with grace and truth to the people at this time. Many times have passed over my head that I have stood in this same spot and preached this same word. And I pray that you would touch this word today, O Lord, and may it find a lodging place in our hearts, so that we'll leave here instructed in righteousness and experiencing the presence of God. In Jesus' name, amen. The psalmist said, but it is good for me to draw nigh unto God. It is a good thing for me to draw near unto God. In fact, the Bible simply admonishes us, draw near to God, draw nigh unto God, and he will draw nigh unto you. All of us love it when God responds, don't we? We love it when God answers. We love it when God hears our prayer and indicates to us that he did hear our prayer and he answered our prayer. God always answers our prayer. Sometimes he says yes. We love it when he says yes. We love it when he says, I'll do it. We don't like it when he says, no, that's not my will. Because sometimes we pray amiss. Sometimes we pray out of the will of God. Sometimes we ask God to do something that he's not ready to put his stamp of approval on. And there's one thing that is for certain and sure in all of our praying, God knows our heart. That our heart is laid bare before him with whom we have to do. Paul said, so that when we come to God, there's no need for pretense, and there's no need for charades, and there's no need to try to make someone think that we're something we're not, because every one of us in this room have a common need, and that is the grace of God. Every one of us in this room need to draw near unto God. God loves it when you seek Him. He said, if you'll seek me in prayer, if you seek me 
with your whole heart, you'll find me. So then finding God in our prayers is all about the totality of our commitment to that prayer. So if we pray half-hearted prayers, then he won't hear that prayer. If we pray prayers that we're not sincere about and that we're not really truthful about, then he doesn't hear that prayer. In fact, the Bible just simply said, God heareth not sinners. Well, we know he hears the sinner's prayer and he forgives sin. What is he talking about? That God does not hear sinners. It's all in the tense of the verb. People who habitually and systematically go about their rebellion against God and never change one iota Never get any closer to God than they were the day they were saved. Never have grown any in God. Never have been a leader in anything. Never have instructed or helped do anything in God's kingdom. But have spent their whole life in rebellion against God. And resistance against God. And I want to tell you, God won't hear that heart until that attitude changes. And that's what that scripture means, that God heareth not sinners. We know also that the soul that sinneth shall surely die. And we also know that, that God has no fellowship with the darkness because he is in the light. And if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. When? When we walk in the light. There are only two elements in that equation, light and dark. And the Bible said the light always takes precedence over and rules over the darkness. The light dispels the darkness. Therefore, they that are of the darkness, they don't understand and they don't have any cognitive spiritual way of knowing God or experiencing God or feeling the presence of God. How do you know when you're in the presence of God? How do you know? Some of you may have never really been in the presence of God. You may never have ever achieved that place in worship where your whole self was lost in the person of God. Some of you have never known that ecstasy and that joy and that celestial warmth and blessedness of praying until you pray your way into his presence, worshiping until you worship your way into his presence, meditate until you meditate yourself into his presence. The Bible said, come before him with singing, come before him with thanksgiving, Come to him. He said, call on me. Psalm 50 and 14 says, offer thanks unto God and pay your vows unto the Most High. In other words, walk in the light so that you can have fellowship, horizontal fellowship and vertical fellowship. And I want to tell you, those two have to be right before you can be right with God. You've got to be right with your fellow man in order to be right with God. Because there's a simple scripture that says this, if you cannot love your brother whom you have seen, 
How can you love God whom you have not seen? Very simple scripture. So we don't have a choice about that. What's quiet in here? We don't have a choice about that. In fact, he said, if you will not forgive people who sin against you, then there is no forgiveness for you. Your whole forgiveness is predicated upon your willingness to forgive people who sin against you. Wow. In fact, Jesus even got so vivid with it. He said, pray. He said, number one, love your enemies. Love your enemies. That same God that said, love your wife. Husbands, love your wives. He also said, Christians, love your enemies. Do good to those who despitefully use you. Pray for. Pray for those who accuse you falsely for my name's sake, for great is your reward in heaven. Then a award in heaven awaits people who are willing to release and not harbor grudges and not harbor things that happened in the past that you can't get over and you're still nursing that thing and still feeding it all the time. God says there's probably not a reward in heaven for you because until you can get past that and can love people who don't love you, it's easy to love people who love you. Well, that's great. You go out and eat with them, buy them Christmas presents, send them cards, do all kind of good things to people that you love and love you. But maybe the test of our praying is in the fact that we're willing to forgive people who sin against us and people who despitefully do evil things against us that say all manner of evil against you. To pray a fervent prayer, there cannot be any malice or hostility or any kind of ill will in your heart. You can't get in his presence like that. Maybe that's why so many have not experienced his presence. Is that the condition of our hearts determines the frequency upon which we ascend into his presence. Now, I want to tell you, the Bible said, let us abide. He says in the Psalms 15, I believe it is, Who shall ascend unto thy holy hill? And who shall ascend and abide in thy holy tabernacle? And he answers his question, He that speaketh the truth in his heart. He that backbiteth not against his neighbor. He that walketh uprightly and has clean hands. Now, all of us love to ascend, don't we? And boy, we ascend well. Boy, right here on Sunday morning, we ascend into the presence so good. That singing, if you can't get into the presence of God, 
then something's wrong with your presence indicator. Because God anoints these folks to sing these, these songs and we worship. And you get into the uh, mode of worship and God communicates to you and it's reciprocal. When the prayers go up, the glory comes down, we used to sing, didn't we? Amen. Those are momentary encounters. They're great. Man, we used to have camp meeting service on Sunday night and we'd have singing, shouting, and dancing in the Spirit and people falling out in the Spirit. Buddy, we had camp meeting. We ascended well. But have you ever wondered what it may be like for us to abide? Who shall ascend into thy holy hill? Lots. Lots of people. Who shall abide in thy holy hill? Not many. Not many. You see, if we become dependent upon being in this room, if we become dependent upon all of these things that motivate us, then what's going to happen when you get in trouble and you hadn't, you're not in this room and you got to get a hold of God and you got to have God, things are desperate and things are, are you're, you're really in dire straits and dire circumstances and you got to pray a prayer, a fervent prayer, an anointed prayer, a prayer that moves God and you got to do it in a hurry. Well, you won't have time to get a hold of the praise thing to usher you into the presence. You won't have time to call Brother Irwin and get Brother Irwin to speak some word to you when you've really got to get a hold of God for yourself. What would you do to get into the presence of God? What would you do to get into his presence? The Bible says in James 4 and 8, draw nigh to God, he'll draw nigh to you. And listen to the rest of the verse. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners. And purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Wow, who is he talking about? Who's this invitation to? Draw nigh to God. He'll draw nigh to you. Why does God want me to draw nigh to him? Because there's cleansing. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners. David said, if I regard iniquity in my heart, God will not hear me. So he says here, cleanse your hands and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. What does that mean? Hadn't got your mind made up. If you're double-minded, you believe two things and no one of those outweighs the other. It's kind of like sitting straddle of the fence. You run with the rabbits through the week and hunt with the hounds on Saturday. And then want to know why God won't do something for me. Why won't God do this? Why won't God do that? Well, have you asked, ever asked him why? Quit asking me why. Ask him why. Ask him why. I'm sure he'll tell you. It's called conviction. He'll tell you. If you really want to know the answer, ask the Holy Ghost to tell you. Why should I ask the Holy Ghost? Because he wrote the book. If you want to know something that's in the book, go to the author. 
If you want to know what the book meant when it said this, go to the author who wrote it. Holy Ghost, what did you mean when you said that? You said you'd lead me and guide me into all the truth. You said you would be a leader, a teacher. You'd teach me. You said you'd remind me. You'd reveal things to me. Holy Ghost, you wrote the book. Tell me what you meant by that. You know, I have to study in different postures. Most of my studying, I'd like to tell you, is while I'm sitting in my chair. But most of my studying is on my knees. Brian walked in this morning about 5.30, about to leave to go uh, do the Hawks game today in Atlanta. And I was on my knees. And he walked in and he said, he's talking all the way coming in down the hall. I heard him coming. And I walked in my study and he said, what are you doing? I said, have you dropped something? I said, no, I'm studying. You're studying? I said, yeah, I'm studying. You see, when you don't study on your knees, don't expect God to do anything in here. If you don't do something when you get into his presence, if you don't go up the mountain and meet him, then don't come down here to the people telling them what he said. You got to study on your knees. You got to have that, that fellowship with him. And it, it's not just a, a one-time thing and then put him on the shelf until next Sunday morning when I need to do this again. No, sir. It's on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. You got to live your religion every day. Boy, that's an old song, isn't it? What it means is pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. Well, how in the world am I going to walk around praying all the time? That's not what that means. It doesn't mean that you're all supposed to be mumbling all the time. That doesn't mean that in every conversation, everything you do, you're mumbling. That's not what pray without ceasing means. It means stay in an attitude of prayer. Stay connected so that the Lord wants to interrupt you. So that the Lord wants to drop in something into your spirit. So that if the Lord wants to get a message through to you, you're on a different wavelength and disconnected. It means walk with an attitude of fellowship with God. Walk with God. Enoch walked with God, didn't he? Do you believe God wants you to walk with him? The Bible said walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called. The Bible said walk in the light as he is in the light. The Bible said, walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of your flesh. How you walk affects your praying. If you don't walk right, then your praying won't be right. Praying. Pray without ceasing. The Bible said, pray one for another. In fact, Samuel said, God forbid that I should sin against God in ceasing to pray for you. You mean it's a sin for me not to pray for my brothers and sisters 
Yes. Did you hear the scripture? I'll repeat it again. God forbid that I should sin against God by ceasing to pray for you. Paul knew that so well that in the New Testament letters to the churches, he continually said, uh, I want you to know that I, I remember you in my prayers, making mention of you in my prayers. When I think of you, I pray for you. When you come to my mind, I go to my knees because God brought you to me for some reason. And when I think about you, when I remember you, I pray for you. And he said, I'm always making mention of you in my prayers. Remembering you. His salutations, he oftentimes would say, to you that I pray for. You, my children, whom I begat in the Lord, I cease not to pray for you. All of those examples of Praying for people and pray. Well, the Bible just simply says it like this. Pray without ceasing. That means to go about your life and go about your day and go about your relationships and your family and extended family in an attitude of, of prayer. An attitude of prayer. The greatest way for us, and I call this the pearly gate. My king lives in a palace. It's called the throne. And he invited me to come whenever I wanted to. Come to the palace. You know why? Because I'm a prince. You know what that means? That means the king is my daddy. That means the man in the palace is my father. And that means because I'm his son. I have access to where he is. <coughs> Woo! I'm feeling kind of Pentecostal right now. I'm sorry. Woo. He says to me, come boldly. Don't be timid about it. Don't be cowardly. Don't act like you're trespassing. Don't act like somebody's going to get on your case. Don't act like you're to be corrected, but come boldly. Come and visit me boldly. Come and be in my presence boldly. Don't sneak around and act like you're trespassing. Walk in the main gate. Walk through the pearly gate. I said walk through the pearly gate. Walk right past the main entrance. Because you're my son and I'm your father. And you come boldly when you come to my palace. When you walk through that pearly gate, you hold your head up. You come in and when you pray, you say, My father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. 
said, and forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil for thine is the kingdom, thine is the power, and thine is the glory forever. Amen and amen. When I was state director in Ohio, we had a staff of secretaries and other state officials had secretaries and administrative assistants. Rachel was something like three or four. And she would get on her big wheel and she would ride from the parsonage out to the state office, the executive offices, and she'd park her big wheel and she'd walk right past the receptionist and she'd walk down the aisle to my office and he'd walk, walk in and, and she'd see my secretary and the administrator, administrative assistant, she'd walk right past them. And she'd go over to my office door and she would open my office door and she'd walk right in there to my desk and climb up in my lap and say, Daddy. Now, if that was somebody else's kid, I would say, hey, Shelby, get in here and get this young. If that was somebody with no fellowship and no relationship, I'd call the administrator and say, hey, get out here and get this kid out of my office. But because she's my daughter, she can ramble through my desk. She can go over to the Coke machine and get her one of those little Cokes that I used to like so much. You see, when you're in relationship, you've got privileges. If I had an ice cream cone in my hand and you came over and licked off of it, I'd say, hey, you just take the whole thing. <laughs> but if Rachel came over and licked on my ice cream, I'd just keep on eating it too. You need to pray like you're in relationship. You need to pray like you're part of the family. You need to pray like the Father delights in giving you the keys to the kingdom. You need to pray. Whew. If you, being earthly, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give unto them that love him the things of the Spirit of God? Whew. Hallelujah. What I'm saying to you is, that God loves these times of intimacy when you come in and you sit with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Jesus said this word, men ought always to pray and not faint. Always pray and don't cave in. The original Greek there leads just like that. Don't cave in. And it's something that in English we say faint, in Greek we say cave in. 
For in due season, if you faint not, in due season you will reap if you don't cave in. What does that say, Pastor? That says keep going. I asked Mama Wooten one time, how do you live to be 98 years old? She said, keep going. You keep going. You live every day for itself. You don't worry about tomorrow. That'll take care of itself, the Bible said. There's sufficient trouble for that day. You just trust God for the grace for the day you're standing in right now. And when you get there, God's grace will be present to give you what you need there. Pray. Pray for yourself. Pray for that, that presence to do something for you. One of the greatest doors to get into his presence and have fellowship with him is communion. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. He said, as often as you drink this cup, as often as you eat this bread, you do show forth my death until the Lord comes. And he said, do this, do every bit of this in remembrance of me. The greatest time of fellowship, the greatest opportunity of fellowship you have with Jesus is communion. I could preach a long time right there, but I've got to continue preaching about prayer. But boy, the Lord's Supper is a very, very wonderful gift that God gave to the church. And the Bible said there are many people that are weak and are sickly because they don't get the message of the communion. Wow. Communion then is the pearly gate. That's the main gate where you have fellowship with God. Prayer is the next one. What a gate that is to go through. Prayer to get into the presence. Prayer to get into the throne room. Prayer to achieve the things that you want in this life. Our, our greatest privilege as children of God is that we can fellowship with the Lord Jesus, that he is our elder brother, he's the captain of our salvation, he is very clearly the Savior of our souls. He is God's gift from heaven. He is history's brightest star. He's melodist, the sweetest melody in music. Apart from him, there is no peer. He is the Almighty. He is the Savior of the world. He's the lily of the valley. He's the rose of Sharon. He's the bright and morning star. Fellowship with him means that I can fellowship with him in eternal life. And he said, whosoever believeth that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the same is born of God. And if we believe that God raised him up and that he has ascended up on high, then we have eternal life. Hereby know we that we are in him. In him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. For you that are battling with salvation, the devil's been telling you you're not saved. Somebody said to me not long ago, said, Pastor, the devil tells me I'm not saved. I said, of course he does. He said, why, why, why would he do that? I said, because he's a liar and he's the father of lies. He hates the truth. I said, he hates the truth. And if you've got the truth in you, you know the Lord Jesus that he hates the fact that you've got the truth because it exposes him because he's a lie. Why don't you, when he comes and tells you you're not saved, 
Why don't you just point your finger at him and say, here's the scripture. It says this, in him verily is the love of God perfected, hereby know we that we are in him. I know because I love God's word. Now, if you don't love God's word, you can't pray th quote that verse. I said, if you don't love God's word, you can't quote that verse. If you know that word, then you know that that word is inspired by the Holy Spirit. And if you quote that word, hereby know we that we are in him, you're telling the adversary of your soul that's tormenting you, you've come too late to tell me that. I've already been born of the Spirit. I've already experienced the new birth. I've already passed from death unto life. I've already had the new birth experience in my life. I know the difference. I know the difference. I was there when it happened. And I guess I ought to know. I remember the first time that I really prayed. Do you? Now, ever since I was able to walk, I would go to the table and I would say, God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for this food. By his hand we all are fed. Thank you, Lord, for daily bread. As long as I lived under Rankin Irwin's roof, I said that before we ate every time. And we didn't just have one prayer. There's six children. So all six had a little prayer that they had memorized. Uh, I would call it a form. So I prayed that prayer, but I was more interested in eating than I was praying the prayer. Because I wasn't old enough yet to figure out that you don't pray prayers that's just a form, that's just words. There are many people, the only prayer they ever pray is some form that somebody puts some words together and they've memorized those words and that's all they've ever done. It's just a form. Now, I'm not against you and I'm not censoring forms and I'm not censoring anybody say, uh, say go to your table and pray the same prayer I just prayed. What I'm saying is, as long as you depend upon somebody else's words, then you're not personally involved in the prayer that you're praying. Until you bring yourself, not somebody else's words, not some other form, but you bring yourself to God. No matter how famous that person is who wrote those words, no matter how good they sound and how blessed they are, they can never convey you and your feelings and the needs of your heart to God. That's somebody else's words. And it's good to do that from time. I'm not, I'm not censoring it. I'm just saying you've got to have a time when you go to God and say, God, it's me. It ain't my brother. It ain't my sister. It's me. I'm standing in the need of prayer. It's me, Father. It's your child. Lord, I've been fighting a battle. Lord, I've been going through an ordeal. Lord, I've been some sickness that I don't understand. Lord, I've had some 
bad news from health providers and Lord I'm going through a difficult time and I'm fearful and I'm frightened and I'm frustrated I don't know the future I don't know what's out there I don't know what what to expect and God I'm here in your presence because you said for me to come boldly before the throne and I've come before the throne God to present my petition not somebody else's petition but my petition it's me God that's standing in the need of prayer it's my voice I want you to hear me I want you to hear me from my heart I want to talk to you I want to tell you what my problem is I want to tell you what my need is God I want to talk to you about me as long as you pray somebody else's words and somebody else's prayer you can never personally present yourself to God he doesn't want a form he doesn't want a poem he wants you to come to him with your whole heart and say what's in your heart what's on your mind I always when I work in an altar I pray with people I always ask them first before we ever pray a word I always look them in the eye and I say what do you want God to do you that pray with people in the altar around here you need to start doing that because until you know what they're praying for you're just down there bless them Jesus help them God but if you know what do you need God to do for you sister well, I've had this spirit of fear. Okay, now we know what we're praying for. Now we're not just standing around mumbling, bless her, Jesus, help her, God. You get to the heart of the matter, you say, hey, God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. So wherever you got that spirit, you didn't get it from God. So you evidently brought something down here to this altar that Satan has put on you to oppress you. And because he's put that on you to oppress you, you've come down here to this altar. Well, I, I'm here to tell you right now that the Bible said he would cast out all fear. I'm here to tell you that the love of God defeats and trumps all fear. You don't have to leave here afraid. You don't have to live another day walking in fear because God's Word said Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Jesus said, when you pray. He didn't say if you pray. He said, when you pray. Just taking it for granted, you're going to do this a lot. When you pray. He said, don't stand up like the Pharisees and pray vain repetitions. What is that? Impersonal. As if you're trying to impress somebody else with your praying. He said, don't pray with vain repetitions and don't, don't pray with all these enticing words and that kind of stuff. Pray sincerely. Amen. And he says, like a Pharisee. And he said, the Pharisee prayed this way. You ready for this? Now I want you to get what kind of prayer this one is. Lord, I thank you that I'm not like that publican over there. He is a sorry, low-down rascal. He works for the Romans. He's a tax collector. He cheats people. 
He's a fraud. He's betrayed his people. He's a traitor. They ought to shoot him. Thank you, God, that I'm not like him. I thank you, God, that I pray three times a day. I thank you that I go to temple on holy days. I thank you I've got my prayer shawl with its 365 laws on it. I thank you, God, that I'm upright and I know the Hebrew and I know Dr. Gamaliel and I know all the things about law. And I just thank you, God, that I am what I am. And Jesus said there was another prayer. There was another prayer. There was a man that was standing off in the distance. He felt so bad he didn't feel like he could get close to the presence. He wasn't where the Pharisee was. He was standing afar off. Why was he standing afar off, Pastor? When you pray, you got to get up there where the fire is. Get up there where it's loud. You don't need to be afar off. His sin had so condemned him and convicted him that he didn't feel like he could be a part of what was going on up there at the front of the temple. But he was standing afar off. What did he do? He smote himself upon the breast and he said, Oh, Lord, have mercy upon me, a sinner. And Jesus said this. He said, that publican, that sinful person that asked for God to forgive him, said he went down to his house more justified than the Pharisee. You see, when it's just words that are intended to impress someone with your praying, then that's exactly what it is. But when it becomes genuine conviction and you smite yourself on the breast and you say, it's me, God. It's me. I'm a sinner. I missed the mark. I broke the law. I'm a transgressor. But would you help me, God? Would you have mercy upon me? Would you let grace be dispensed to me? Would you let me experience your presence? Have mercy upon me. Can I be included? And Jesus said, that prayer is the one that got results. You see, God is so interested in our hearts because our heart, the Bible said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Well, there are six pages of notes here, and that's number one. So I guess we'll have to continue this next Sunday. Because praying is the key that will unlock the door. It's like the man whose son left and went to a far country. And they put out an advertisement. He wants his boy back. And he'll reward anybody faithful if you'll go and find his son and bring him back. There was a knock at the door. He walked in. He said, I'll go get your son. He said, what's your name? He said, love. He said, okay, love. He said, I will reward you plenty if you'll just go find my son and bring him back. But days turned into weeks and weeks turned into months and 
love was unable to bring the son back. If loving people would help, then everybody would have been saved a long time ago. If love alone could save everybody, then, brother, we'd just get everybody saved. Just love everybody, and everybody would be all right with God. But love won't bring him home. Another knock at the door. Sir, what's your name? My name's Hope. He said, I'll go into the far country, and I'll find your son. I'll bring him back. Weeks turned to months, months to years. Hope could not bring him back either. You see, just hoping somebody will get saved. If that would save them, brother, there's enough hoping around here to save a lot of people. But hoping won't do it either. Finally, there was a knock at the door. And he said, I'll go into the far country and I'll find your son and I'll bring him back. He said, what makes you so sure? Love couldn't. Hope couldn't. He said, I've never failed. I've never failed. I will always bring him back. Process of time, the young man was found, and the gentleman brought him back. And the father said to him, he said, Sir, you didn't tell me your name. He said, My name is Time. The Bible says that one day every knee shall bow. One day every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord. The time is coming. Time will bring them home. Time will bring them back. You may not like the way it brings them back, but time will bring them back. It never fails. Stand with me, please. Give you a teaser, okay, before you go. 1 John 5, 16 says, If you see your brother sin a sin that is not unto death, he said, pray for him, and the Lord will forgive him, and the Lord will save his soul for eternity. But he said, but if you see your brother commit a sin unto death, he said, I would not say pray for him. Boy, the big question then becomes this, doesn't it? What is the sin unto death? What is that sin unto death? There is a sin, and he said, it's not unto death. And he said, pray for those folks. But he said, there's also a sin unto death, and he said, I do not say pray for them. Whew. Now, we've got a lot of views about that. You're going to hear them next Sunday. Let me give you one of the four. It's the unpardonable sin. And that is what Jesus said, if any man speak a word against the Holy Spirit, he will not be forgiven in either in this world nor the world to come. But he said, all manner of sin shall be forgiven, but there's one. There's one, he said. And he said, that was a sin that will not be, ever be forgiven. Boy, it is quiet in this house, isn't it? Be careful how you talk about the Holy Ghost. Be careful how you talk about the Spirit of God.
be careful how you criticize the Holy Spirit. Whew. That's heavy, isn't it? And that's one meaning of that sin unto death. And what it means is you don't accept what God did at Calvary by sending Jesus to die for the sins of the world. And you see, if you don't accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, if you don't accept what he did at Calvary's cross, then there's no way you're going to be saved or forgiven in this world or the world to come. So the unpardonable sin is to reject the Lord Jesus as the Savior. Right. Now that you're square on that, you want to find out what the other three, you'll have to come next Sunday. I love you being here today, and I loved our time together in the Word of God. COVID won't allow us to get around here and pray together and hug one another and love one another and everything, so I'll just have to let us pray and be dismissed. But I want to tell you this, the effectual, fervent prayer. Effectual. What is that one? Personal. Cry out to God. The effectual, fervent prayer. What does the fervent mean? Hot. Hot. You know what? I remember church, Mark, when I was a kid, that the most noisy, loudest time in the church service was when they prayed. Lisa, you remember old 17th Street when they all used to get down on their knees and pray? Brother, you'd have thought a kid had fell in the well. Oh, God! God, hear our prayer! Oh, Lord Jesus, come down! That's the way they prayed. Brother, you could hear them all over the place. My church in Montgomery made so much noise praying in the altars at the end of the service and during, during service, a lady in the community called the police. <laughs> Don't know what's going on down there at that church. Somebody must be dying. There's all kind of wailing and all kind of carrying on. And Lisa, I looked in the back and in, in come a policeman. Two of them. And I couldn't see that good then. And I got back there and I started looking. And he made his way up to the front. And I thought he was coming to tell me, you got to quiet down. He got about three or four steps from me. And I realized that's one of my members. <laughs> he said, I told, I come here to tell you, Brother Jerry, just keep on going. Said, somebody called the police station. Said, do something about the racket. But he said, they sent me. He said, I know what all the racket's about. said, just let her rip. Praise God. Thank God he sent somebody knew what was going on, Randy. Thank you, God, for allowing us to be in your house. And thank you, God, for letting us remember that prayer is the key that unlocks the door to revival. Prayer is the key that unlocks faith and hope and love and healing and grace. Your word said for us to confess our faults one to another and pray one for another that we may be healed. For the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. God, let these verses go home with us. And let these verses, O oh Lord, motivate us to become what you would have us to be, a praying church, a praying pastor, praying music in our church, praying people teaching our classes. That's what we desire, God. And you said if your people would humble themselves and pray that we would hear from heaven. 
Lord, that's our desire. We want to hear from heaven. Touch us today as we depart from this place of worship and keep us safe from harm and danger. In Jesus' name, bring us back together. Amen and amen.